for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his head. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mello. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mello. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Why can't I get the coffee from the Keurig to taste like the one that you buy from Tim Hortons? <laughs> what am I doing wrong? Isn't it pretty easy? Don't you just put the pot in and then just hit start? Yeah, but then you got to add your own milk and sugar. And I'm like, I'm not a like, oh, three no. milks, four sugars kind of person. I'm, a, I'm just a one in one, but I can never get it right. I just you I put can't. sugar in your coffee. Just a little bit. I like to think a health freak like you uh, would I, not put well, sugar. A health freak like me probably shouldn't be drinking coffee all that much either. But <laughs> let me tell you, this CFL season, holy boats. Uh, <laughs> the coffee has been flowing uh, whether I wanted to or not. It's just it's become a thing that I've had to adapt to. So, uh, But the good news is I've swapped out essentially beers for coffee consistently. Uh, green tea, also very helpful, but also very dehydrating, I find. So something to keep in mind there if you're going to fall in love with the teas. What's your favorite tea, Kyle Mello? Uh, I don't drink tea. Oh, you should. Oh, no. I drink iced coffee. Not even iced coffee. It's <laughs> it's cold coffee. Because I don't get any, like, when I go to Tim Hortons or Starbucks, I don't get any of those, like, sweeteners in it. Yeah. It's just, just coffee that's cold with ice and milk. That's it. I honestly could drink coffee black if I wanted to. Shout out to the greatest movie of all time, Semi Pro, with uh, Andre 3000 playing coffee black in that movie. Uh, I did name 100 movies better than Semi Pro. <laughs> this is true. But I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I could honestly have it black. I just choose not to. And I don't really know why. No one else is actually, now that we're on you know, the pet peeves of, of Tim Hortons. Hey, Tim Hortons, I know you're listening to this. So make sure you fix these problems, uh, which I very very much doubt will happen because my entire life growing up i would go to wendy's and every single time i would write in the suggestion box strawberry frosty they never did it no, <laughs> no. they've always been vanilla and chocolate i was like hey i am strictly in the strawberry camp here okay you need to give me Man. my damn strawberry frosty or i'm not coming back for this junior bacon double cheeseburger and then the next day i'd come back and get the junior bacon double cheeseburger eventually i i graduated to the baconator and then the uh the, <laughs> the, the, the double baconator and, whoa uh yeah i mean it's i'm a disgusting human being at my core so yeah uh so i ended up whoa. doing those but i i wrote hey you make a strawberry frosty and they never did but while we're on the topic as i say of tim hortons I have a pet peeve here uh, with the breakfast sandwiches, okay? Because I, I'm a huge believer that the farmer's wrap is the best thing going in breakfast food in Canada right now. And I know people <laughs> are going to say like, oh, the Egg McMuffin or, uh, you know, maybe Starbucks has some like three-day-old crusty stuff in the window that you think is good, whatever. I believe the farmer's wrap is the best thing going. But I try to limit, and by limit, I mean I just don't eat it ever. Uh, meat. <laughs> I try to limit it because it's it's just hard on my system. It's hard for my body to process. It's something that I've learned in my uh, my journey towards health, as the kids like to say. The tofu is a lot easier. Uh, yeah, but they don't. I mean, I also try not to have too much tofu because I actually talked to a nutritionist, and they said, uh, especially for uh, Marlene's daughter Mia, I said, oh yeah, she loves tofu. She loves it, and she said, well, there's a lot of like estrogen 
uh, inducing oh. chemicals oh. and compounds. And it said for a, a woman who has a lot of hormones as she's growing and developing still, because she's not 20 years old, said if you have too much of an estrogen inducing um, food compound like tofu, which is known for that, you can actually ramp up the increased chance for breast cancer when you become older. Um, so there's, again, it's crazy how your body interacts with different chemicals and compounds it does, but there's no tofu at Tim Hortons. I'm okay with that. It's fine. All I ask, even though I, you know, I, I don't really label, my, my, label myself as a vegan per se, because I still do eggs. I still do some fish stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, my goal is not to be labeled as something and prove something to somebody. My goal You're is with to- a Portuguese woman. I, 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 I would assume you do the fish stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's, <laughs> and, I, and I don't mind saying that because I think too often people get caught up in the labeling and the branding of, well, this is what I am. And this is what I believe in. And I'm going to be stubborn. And I'm not stubborn about that. Like there are moments before where I've been like, you know what? I am going to have a slice of bacon, but it's like once every six months kind of thing. So, <laughs> um, so anyways, the reason I bring this up, the farmer's wrap, it's great. I ask them everywhere I go, hey, can I get the farmer's wrap? But instead of putting the bacon or the sausage in, can you just give me an extra egg patty in there? Because I still want to get filled up and I still, I don't want them to charge me for the yeah. full price of getting all the, I'm like, just swap it out. And in my mind, I'm, I don't know the specifics on this. The egg patty has to be cheaper for Tim Hortons to produce than the sausage or the bacon correct because you would think meat i mean you go to the grocery store you can get 18 eggs for five bucks yeah you go go to the grocery store and you want to buy a pack of bacon it's going to cost you five but so it's i mean to me i would think the egg is easier some places they will end up uh having themselves uh a very easy time with it they swap it out same price other places they charge you an extra egg for it and i don't i'm too lazy to get into a negotiation every time i want a breakfast wrap (laughs) So I just, I just bite the bullet. I pay the extra couple of bucks, whatever. But Tim Hortons on their menu, I think, needs to have a, a double egg, no meat option, if you want to call it that. Like, I don't know if they want to call it like a vegetarian option. It's not really vegan or vegetarian because it's eggs. Yeah. But, but the, I just think they need to have a double egg, no meat option on their menu. And that might be very specific to me. I don't know if anybody else would dig that, but it's very good. <laughs> it's very good. And, and uh, here's the other thing, too, I've come to realize. As the CFL season's been going, you can tell I've I've been frequenting the Tim Hortons. Uh, the only difference it feels like between the spicy chicken wrap or the buffalo chicken wrap or the chicken bacon ranch, it's the sauce. It's all the exact same food. The only thing they change <laughs> in any of these wraps is the sauce. It's like today I'm drinking ranch out of the chicken. Today I'm having spicy chipotle out of the chicken. It's everything has chicken and tomato and a sauce. And the sauce is the only damn thing that's different. I'm like, what a great scam. To have up on that board, like, look at our plethora of options. We can give you so much in the, the breakfast and the lunch menu. And all. it's like, you guys are serving the same four things and you're just basting it in different sauces to try and convince us it's different. And guess what? It worked for 30 years, but the jig is up, Tim Hortons. Yeah. I see, I see through your shell game. Okay. <laughs> you got to update with the times. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, strawberry frosty and I had oh, yeah. a frosty probably like six months ago and it was the first one I had had in it had to be at least five years that a boy and the it reminded me of the when i was a kid and i told my girlfriend the story so i used to live on the corner of upper james and mohawk and i used to play hockey at dave andrew chuck arena before it got named dave andrew chuck arena it was just the old mountain arena, mountain arena yeah. yeah and i used to walk i'm in grade three four don't do this nowadays 
back in the day, put your kid on the bus. It was fine. Like I was, I rode the bus as a grade three kid, grade four kid. And I used to walk to hockey practice in the morning. So I used to get my bag. And by the way, hockey bags with wheels, oh, the greatest thing ever. So just with the stick in hand, rolling the the bag down Upper James around the corner. I think it's Hester. And then uh, to Dave Vanderchuk Arena, practice would finish. On my way back, I stop at the Wendy's on Upper James. I get a Biggie Frosty, a Biggie Frosty in the winter. Oy. The brain freeze when it's minus four outside. Man, it sucks. <laughs> uh, man, the winter frosty. I, 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 it's not seasonally appropriate, but hey, power to you. You've worked for it during your hockey time. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of cold weather, welcome everyone to the month of November. Congratulations. We made it. We're all here. All right. Good job. Good job, everybody. We're a month uh, out from the Great Cup. We are. And month in a bit. <laughs> uh, just a, a little curse coming your way here in a second. So, if you have any kids listening, maybe just mute for a second. And, uh, and I apologize to them. But my favorite thing about November. This is the shit gets real month when it comes to Canadian football. I have, <laughs> I have always loved November because I always view it as shit gets real because we dance our way through. And it's not that I don't value earlier parts of the season. And I understand that, yes, the Grey Cup is not until December 12th and that the division finals are not until December 5th. And yes, there are going to be East and West semifinals, I believe, at the, the very, very end of this month. But I love November in Canadian football because it... Uh, in Hamilton, and I understand it's different in different places, but playing football at McMaster and covering the Hamilton Tiger Cats and now covering the CFL in Ontario predominantly. Uh, I love that in October, you know, September, sometimes you get some of those cooler temperatures, but it's still pretty hot. October, you start to get some of the little bit of rain, a little bit of the, the cool wind, all the rest. November, it's like the chill is here. Like you really start to feel, okay, this is changing. This is headed towards playoff weather. And in terms of the regular season, where we go, it's June. Hey, it's great to have the league back every year. July, oh, let's see how these teams are faring. We make our way through August. Oh, we're starting to figure out who's for real. September, oh, Labor Day. Okay, now it's the home stretch. October, wow, some prove-it games. Oh, some nasty weather games as well. Wow, let's see how teams deal with the bad weather. How are they developing? How are they healthy? Oh, the trade deadline. Okay, November hits in the CFL, and typically in a normal season, right, this would be like the week 20 of week 21 kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and right now you'd be looking at, you're like playoff seating. Where are you going to play? Who are you going to play against? How healthy is your roster? Who's on your injured list? Who could come back for you? Right. Like so many of the decisions, the roster movements, everything else is basically carved out by the time we get a typical year to November 1st. And it's just put your head down and go because shit's about to get real. And I love that about this month. And even though it's a different year, I had that feeling when I woke up this morning. I'm like, all right, Halloween's done. Like we did the, you know, the cute Halloween themed broadcast and whatnot on Saturday between Toronto and BC that we'll get to. And, and there's, there's some teams that um, still have some things to be decided here down the stretch. But for me, it's like, I'm really starting to lock in on who's, who's going to have a chance to actually beat Winnipeg and who's going to win the East and who's going to be the most prepared team rolling in with the best rhythm offensively across the six playoff teams as of right now. And just on and on and on it goes. But I love that this is the month more than any other where we get answers because we spend the other 11 months a year in various different points, questioning, wondering, discussing, talking. You know, it's just yeah. now it's no, we get answers like this. This is real for all these teams. Yeah. In November, it's kind of like moving day, right? Round three yeah. in a golf tournament. Um, so 
especially in the East Division. I mean, in the West, it's basically settled. BC has fallen off so much, and it looks like Hamilton's going to finish ahead of BC. So it just a, depends on where that East semi is. Yeah. Um, and then in the West, you know, Saskatchewan and, and, and Calgary, um, they're going to face each other in the playoffs. It's a certainty, essentially. Um, and it's just going to depend on where the game is um, and whether home field matters. Um, yes. You think for Saskatchewan, it would. Um, but they played the West final there in 2019 against Winnipeg and lost. So um, we don't really know, but yeah, I'm with you. I think November is an interesting month of CFL football because you really find out, especially in a shortened season. Now it's like you really find out on, okay, this team's for real. That team still has a lot of quirks. And if you made any changes during the season or you got healthy at some point in the season, this is for you to show that, oh, you're for real. Like for Saskatchewan, you know, all the talk about the receivers, it's like you got some receivers back, you signed Duke Williams, and now you have no excuses. For Cody Fajardo, you have to, you know, hit the ground running here and get on a run before the playoffs and and host that West Semi and, and take out Calgary and then – Again, you have a hell of a task trying to go up to IG Field and, and beat the Bombers. Um, but use the month of November as kind of your measuring stick to do that. Yeah, no doubt. They, and when you talk about Saskatchewan, they are one of the absolute most interesting teams in the CFL right now. At bar, I actually think bar none. Like, there's a lot of good stories bouncing around right now. But Saskatchewan, I to see their offense go so up and so down at different points and the personnel changing out. And now they're not expecting good news on Karen Moore, which by the time that we push this out, they might've announced what's happened to him with his injury. So it's like, you get Duke Williams, but if Karen Moore goes down, like that guy's been an integral part. So now you're really going to lean on Shaq Evans and you're really going to lean on Duke Williams. And is that going to be enough to get you through? And can that give you a good enough chance against Winnipeg? Like it's, all of that, I think, is yeah. worth, worthwhile discussion. And William Powell, his, his, his production this year has been so yeah. up and down where it's like he can't do anything in the run game. So Cody Fajardo has to kind of make up for it with quarterback runs and read option stuff. And can Cody Fajardo stay healthy, right? We've always been talking about that, where can the way he plays football and he's done a, a much better job in the second half of the season on – sliding when he has to slide getting out of bounds when he needs to get out of bounds and not taking big shots because he needs to be healthy at the end of the season where in that west final against winnipeg in 2019 he wasn't healthy and it made a massive difference in the game um but now that Moore's going to be down uh, maybe for a, a few weeks here um Duke williams really has to there's no grace period now you have to hit the ground running and get your chemistry going with Fajardo. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, just a little side note here. Love getting a text at 5.40 a.m. Uh, that says, hey, daycare just called. They don't have enough staff. Can you come back to Hamilton? <laughs> After you make your way into Toronto at 5 a.m., that's <laughs> like, hey, daycare, maybe give parents more of a heads up than like an hour before you're supposed to open. <laughs> How do they not have enough staff? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a, it's a COVID thing. I don't know. It's under control, Kyle. Don't worry. It's under control. We got it all figured out. No, what else is under control? What did Noah go as uh, for Halloween? Uh, he was uh, Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Oh, you know, solid. Yeah. Solid Winnie the Pooh. Costume. Little, little warm costume. You got to, you got to multitask with that. How right? old so, was he for last year's Halloween? A month. Yeah, so he's oh. uh, yeah he's 13 months, but he we did actually get some badass pictures of him last year for his uh, his first Halloween as an astronaut. 
Um, there oh. was like there was like a toddler NASA costume, and <laughs> we we got those were cool. Those were really really cool. I love those pictures. But uh, okay, so let's move on to a recap of week thirteen here. Uh, it was it was eventful, man. I mean, Ottawa Calgary to me bit of a sleeper if I'm going to be honest because it felt like a foregone conclusion the I don't want to read too much into this because I don't really know what I'm about to throw out there uh but I just from going through and tracking the game typically what you will see in terms of personnel dispersion if you will or utilization is that you'll end up getting 70 percent of your snaps will be five receivers one running back and then your heavy formations whether it be three receivers two fullbacks and a running back or three receivers, two running backs and a fullback. Whatever. You'll end up having a couple of those games, short yardage, quarterback sneaks, things like that. Very rarely, but sometimes you'll get one or two snaps a game that is six receivers, no fullbacks, no running backs. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not always empty. Sometimes it's a team like Winnipeg where they go Andrew Harris off the field, Nick Dembski in the ball game, but, but Nick Dembski plays running back. You know what I mean? So um, you'll get a couple of those a game. I don't know what to read into this, but Ottawa set the season high this past week for six receiver set. They ran about 14 plays. Well, that was uh, because of Delance Turner, right? He went down in the game and then Anthony Coombs came in and you know the way Coombs is, right? They'll line him up in the backfield and then he'll just go out and be a receiver. Yeah. I just, I thought it was interesting though, because Ottawa, the reason I bring this up is I know that Delance Turner was dinged, but Ottawa did essentially lead the CFL in six wide set usage this year. And part of that was uh, that you ended up having, uh, who was the back at the start of the year? I'm blanking completely right now. Uh, Timothy uh, Flanders. Yes, yes Flanders. Yeah. So Flanders, when he went down in that game, I think it's a Saskatchewan earlier in the season, they ended up having to use Devontae Deadman as the running back. And uh, they've, they've mixed and matched in different ways, which has been kind of, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, a good window into how the Red Black season has gone. But to me, it almost felt like this game was the way that Ottawa was going to play for the remainder of the year, which is, I heard this quote the other day, when you have nothing, you have nothing to lose, right? In, in terms of possessions, like the most dangerous thing is somebody who plays like they have nothing to lose, but it's also because they have nothing. Like at this point, they are figuring out where they're going in every aspect of this game. And, uh, and so I, I look forward to seeing Ottawa playing wrecking ball right they're trying to spoil the party for a couple of different teams uh down the stretch here do i think they're going to be able to do it no because i think we've all seen the way that the season has gone uh but i do find it intriguing that they went six wide that much and that they're going to start to be more aggressive and they're running you know trick stuff and maybe they go for more two-point conversions if they get to the end zone but calgary in this game had to have it went out and got it uh it it felt like it was Bo Levi just kind of picking and plucking his way through the game in order to get them to the finish line, which they did, but not an incredibly memorable game, I would say, for Calgary and, and not super supportive of the fact that they look like a team to be feared, especially if you're Winnipeg. I don't think this game said anything to you. Yeah, um, for Calgary, uh, at least, you know, from the looks of this game, they were sputtering for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And Bo Levi Mitchell was really just struggling for some form of rhythm back there. Um, I mean, you look at his, his line, 22 of 29, 242, no touchdowns, no picks. Yeah. Um, uh, Jake Mayer had the only, <laughs> only uh, <laughs> touchdown pass uh, for, for, for Calgary, Vulture. which, yeah, which goes you know, further along the fight of maybe Jake Mayer needs to be the starting quarterback of the Calgary Stampeders. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. If you played, if you played Bo Levi Mitchell in fantasy though, you're like bleep off Jake Mayer. Seriously. Like. 
I'm I'm trying to rack up the points here late in the season and play fan, and you're just going to come in, throw one pass for 15 yards and a touchdown. This dude almost hit the 300-yard the mark in this game for Bo Levi. Has a completion percentage up about 65 70%, and he doesn't. He doesn't get a touchdown like uh, to score 26 points and have your starting quarterback not throw a touchdown I, I felt for Bo on that one and I felt for his fantasy owners yeah um on that play uh Jake Myers touchdown what what was it the he was in for a QB sneak and then he stayed out for the snap after or he was going to QB sneak and then they ended up throwing it and he hit Kamar Jordan who was wide open yeah yeah Kamar was by the way really really efficient in this game six targets six catches 80 yards one touchdown a long catch of 26 yards so he certainly looks to be coming into form but I think the real key to this offense and I've heard Jim Barker been talking about this on the panel periodically Kadeem Carey Kyle is they're starting to use him in more yeah. ways and, and they're using I think him a little bit in the, in the check down game more than they should. Like to me, that's just not efficient offense. And I hate sometimes the amount of check downs that get thrown in this game because the CFL is intended to be a wide open up and down entertaining game like Toronto BC was where both quarterbacks were just like, Oh, we don't give a damn. We're just going to throw this thing 30, 40 yards down the field. Even if the ball is soaking wet and our arms are cold and our receivers are outrunning our arms. It's like, who cares? Like give it a shot throw it up there, make some plays, put the defenders in bad situations, draw some pass interference calls. Uh, but Kadeem Carey, 16 carries for 103 yards and a touchdown, long of only 14, but he was grinding away and he is, when healthy, like I totally understand why Dave Dickinson at the start of the year said, we're not doing this by committee BS this year. Like Kadeem, when he is healthy, he's our best guy and he's he's dynamic enough to help us out. I don't, I don't think that Calgary is scary enough right now to beat Saskatchewan in Saskatchewan in a West semi. I don't think that they are scary enough to go in. Uh, you know, we were talking about the Stampede. They did beat them twice this year. Though. Yeah, that's true. Like, But I just, in a playoff setting, can you scheme up and defeat Jason Moss when he's got you dialed in offensively? And there's a lot of people that don't like Jason Moss and like to, to harp on him and all the rest, but that dude knows offensive football. And again, from tracking these games and going through the amount of variety that he is throwing at people, I said this on the breakdown last week, for every play or every formation or every new motion that you run as an offense, yeah, you force the other team to spend, you know, for five minutes you spend on it, they spend a half an hour prepping it. And what Jason Moss is throwing at people is like seven different formations a game. And it's, you know, <laughs> eight, it's seven different personnel packages. And so he just, he's going to make life hard on defensive coordinators and defenders to realize with that being said we actually had this conversation on our cfl and tsn conference call last tuesday the the lack of creative waggles and usage of receivers and switch motions and like z receivers waggling down the line of scrimmage and becoming the number three receiver to the inside of the field there's like not a lot of that going on this year but one of the teams that's trying to open that door is calgary and that i find to be interesting because it feels like they have a bunch of receivers that are that are different than they've had in previous years. We've been over that throughout this season. But mm -hmm. you're starting to get close to playoff time. And it's Kamar Jordan, Colton Hunchak, who might only be a second year, but he knows the offense. Marquis Ambles has evolved into this thing. Herjim Mayala, second year again, but good player. Sindani understands the system. I mean, these are players that are not veteran, deeply experienced, been around, seen stuff in the playoffs. But... They, they seem to understand what they're trying to accomplish. And that might actually give Calgary an upper hand heading, yeah. into, heading into the playoffs because you're looking at what Saskatchewan's doing. Well, Shaq Evans, it would a big chunk of the year. Duke Williams coming in for the first time, trying to pick up Jason Moss's stuff. So 
Uh, how convoluted do you want the offense to be? How simplified do you want it to be for Saskatchewan? How much is Calgary going to get an advantage in, in having a group that feels like they've pieced it together? I think those are all fair questions as we head down the stretch. Yeah, and in terms of the circumstances surrounding, uh, you know, inevitable West Semi between Calgary and Saskatchewan, it's it's interesting because I think all the pressure is on the riders. I don't think any pressures on the Stampeders like Stampeders will never tell you that. Cause obviously they always have expectations of, of being great. Um, but it seemed at the beginning of the season when the stamps looked dead in the water and everybody came to the conclusion of, well, this isn't the stamp season. Right. And BC was playing well. And now BC's fallen off. The stamps went on that huge run where it was a four wins in five weeks. And all of a sudden they were back in the playoff hunt. Yeah. And now everything that they're, going to do potentially in the playoffs is a bonus because mm -hmm. nobody thought they were going to be here at the beginning of the season, but for the riders, they've been waiting for this. Like of all the teams that were probably the most frustrated about the 2020 season being scrubbed one, obviously the tight cats with yeah. losing in the great cup, but the riders as well. Right. Cause the riders, they were like, that sucked that West semi or that West final in 2019. It, it didn't go our way because our quarterback was injured, but we lost on our home field against a team that maybe we had a better team than, right? Um, and But I don't think that's the case this season, although in Saskatchewan and in Regina, the, the pressure around this team is a lot. And Craig Dickinson, I know, has talked about it. He can feel it. He can feel it in Regina. People want to win a great cup there and he wants to win a great cup there. And there's still a lot of things that have to fall and go their way to make that happen. Um, but the first one is playing in that West semi, whether it's in Calgary or in Saskatchewan, and you have to get the job done before you get to the big test against Winnipeg. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So that is, uh, that's the, the quick recap of the first game of the week. And let's dive into uh, the tie. It's the Don Jackson game that we've all <laughs> been waiting for. Uh, when he scored that touchdown, it was a dynamic run. And not that Sean Thomas Erlington hasn't been very good when healthy this year. But seeing Don Jackson do that, yeah, I tweeted it out. But immediately my thought was, well, that's the touchdown run that people imagined when he signed from Calgary and free agency in February mm -hmm. of 2020. Like we're talking a year and a half more than a year and a half that people in Hamilton have been excited about Don Jackson. If you're a real true Ticats fan, if you're a real true CFL fan, when he signed, you knew how good that marriage could potentially be. Like just his quickness, explosion, and making a decision and just going. And to see him finally get that opportunity, I was happy for him just as a person because it sounds like he's gone through a lot of difficult personal stuff in the last while trying to get onto the roster and then the ratio considerations because their offensive line's been dinged up and 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 and. But to see him make a decisive cut, bounce off two people and run into the end zone, I was like, <laughs> people have been waiting a long time for that one. Yeah, I put it out on Twitter. Um, I don't think you're going to see Don Jackson being scratched anymore <laughs> before no. the game, right? Where he's listed on the depth chart and then he's the one guy that gets scratched. It's like, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. Um, you don't really see the difference in players until they're put on the field together mm -hmm. um, and not really together, but in the same game and, you know, one play after another. And, you know, Sean Thomas Erlington is a great runner, but I didn't realize the difference in running styles between the two until I watched the game. 
I was like, oh, Don Jackson hits the hole way harder than Sean Thomas Erlington. Sean Thomas Erlington's a very good running back, but he's a more patient runner, right? Where he waits for his blocks and then he'll hit his hole. Um, and he does it almost gracefully. Um, where Don Jackson is one cut up the field and there's a potential if the linebacker misses a tackle, he's going for a lot of yards. Um, So I think the Ticats have a new weapon uh, in Don Jackson. And I think it's going to, you know, help the team. Um, I just want to preface with us talking about this Ticats game. I'll say the same thing for the second week in a row opponents matter mm-hmm. and you play the playing, two worst teams in the league. Yeah. Yeah. You play the worst two teams in the league. And what's the morale in Edmonton right now? Those oh. players are like, just get us to the end of the season. We're sick and tired of <laughs> no playing on this team. No, no, it's kind of amazing. The visual of, first of all, the most rattling visual of the entire weekend was Trevor Harrison and Alouette's uniform. <laughs> I was like, what? like, I knew it was going to happen, but to actually see him wearing that clothing for some reason, I was just like, the hell is this? Uh, <laughs> and then the other one was Nick Arbuckle on the sideline, rocking the, the Edmonton jacket, almost said the previous nickname of the team, uh, wearing the Edmonton jet, which by the way, and I just want to throw this out there. If you're Edmonton, like you rebranded, try to actually rebrand all of your clothing. Like, I understand you want to use the EE logo a little bit, but like use the Elks logo as much as humanly possible like there's i hate this like half-assed oh they're still using the old hats the yeah. ee hats yeah for and, sure and you are not alone edmonton if you think i'm just targeting you because you're having a tough year and you're rebranded hey toronto everyone's wearing the shield like in in media the coach is on the sideline dinwiddie's wearing a jacket that has the old a shield i'm like didn't you guys switch to the boat <laughs> Everybody, everybody on the like you rebranded and all of your sideline apparel is the shield. And I get it. That stuff's not easy to turn around in short order, but it's a professional football league. If you rebrand, rebrand, like, yeah, give everybody the stuff you need, because how are you supposed to sell all the new shiny boat logo stuff? If all of your coaches and players on the sideline are wearing the old shield, like you would never see that in the NFL. You would never see a team rebrand and just have everybody else wearing the old stuff. No, the the Buffalo Bills uh, on Sunday, they wore the classic jerseys, the classic whites. And everybody on the sideline was not wearing the regular Bills logo stuff. They were wearing the classic stuff. Yeah, and I get it. I get it. It's the the, uh, economies of scale are different in the CFL and the NFL, and that's always going to be the same. But just as a point of pride, I'm like, come on, guy. Like, if you want to sell stuff, you got to have your players and your coaches wearing the stuff. (laughs) You can't have them not wearing the stuff. So anyways, uh, Edmonton, the morale, the reason I bring this all up and get sidetracked is Nick Arbuckle wearing those that Edmonton gear on the sideline. He looks genuinely excited to be there. He's the only one <laughs> like, <laughs> like seeing him uh, that I I'm kind of amazed that uh, the visually apparent disdain that's on the sideline right now, just grinding this thing out. The other thing is too Edmonton, like I respect Jamie Elizondo and what he's trying to create in Edmonton. And I was really excited to see them be a playoff team <laughs> this year, but like he's actively trying to prove that he is scratching claw for every inch football coach guy and taking timeouts when you're down by 16 late in the fourth quarter, because you're still trying to coach hard. Like it's not, it's not proving anything to anybody. Like if you want to prove that you're 
scratch and claw for every inch guy and then like make the correct decisions on challenges and uh you know get people involved in the offense that should have been involved the majority of the year so that that's my takeaway from Edmonton side of things the thing I did want to talk about here though because I know this is the point of contention uh for everybody around the CFL is uh the Simone hit and dive into that for a couple of minutes yep. because I feel like you and I are uniquely qualified to discuss Simone and the Simone hit <laughs> and, and the way that this stuff uh, plays out and here is uh, I got a couple of points just quickly to make on this but I'll, I'll give you the the microphone first Kyle and, and let you have your yeah time. so the first view of the hit look it was late right it was I'm not gonna say it wasn't um it was definitely late for all these people that are like oh he went for his knees didn't go for his knees his face mask hit the backside of james walder jr and james walder jr was mad why is he mad well he's mad because look at the circumstances in edmonton the team sucks simone was all over him you know early on in that game edmonton couldn't move the ball and simone look you love to have him on your team you hate to play against him one he's a terrific player also that dude talks the most crap on the field, right? And James Wilder Jr. was just like, I am so tired of hearing this dude in my ear every time he tackles me. And then in that play, Simone hits him in the back. He falls down. He thought it was late. It definitely was late. And he gets up and he sees 2-1 on the other side. And he's like, oh, hell no. And tries to take him down. By the way, Simone Lawrence has fantastic takedown defense because he ran back with him for like, 10 yards and if that was a ufc fight no he would have hit the back of the cage he was trying to sell it that's what that was was him being like yeah hey what is this guy do? hey what but he didn't go down right away james wilder jr listen i know wwe wrestling is different than freestyle wrestling i think i know why your wwe wrestling didn't uh, go very well <laughs> yeah that, that was a little your bit damning. down suck well that's the thing too is the jwj as the panel always calls him he's constantly doing what when he gets a first down flexing we haven't seen those in a while look how strong i am and then he ends up not being able to take down simone i'm like that's really not great for the personal training business that uh, that james is in to be like hey look how strong i am but simone i mean it's tough to bring down so yeah um yeah you're right to say that it was it was late and so this is my point on late simone the part of the reason he is loved is that he's got a little bit of that Angelo Mosca in him. He plays on the edge. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a little bit of that Mosca in him that has always endeared him to Hamilton fans and has always made everybody else in the league hate him. And when I say that Mosca in him, it's not that you play to the whistle, you play to the echo of the whistle. And that's what he did on that play was he, sometimes he plays dumb and sometimes he plays to the echo of the whistle and it's close enough that you can say, Hey, I got no problem with that. Yeah, uh, I, I talked to Matt Dunnigan about this on Saturday off air when we were in the booth getting ready for Toronto, BC. And he said, it's dirty. Don't like it. He's done it before. He's done it previous seasons. He's done it this year. I, there's a play this year, almost identical, where late in the game, I think, I think it was late in the game, Montreal has William Stanback kind of run a flat route and then just hook up and hang by the sideline. It's essentially just like a late release pattern um, as an outlet for the quarterback. And the ball is thrown outside and Simone to the weak side when the tail is leaking out like that, his responsibility is the back and yeah. he, he runs and he gets there. And just as the ball gets there and gets dropped or gets knocked away, whatever Simone goes through and it's terrible tackling for him. Like his head is dipped and basically it looks like he is it's, it's, it's close to spearing body posture. If you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it looks like he's like supermaning to try and get in, but he's not actually, and he's actually going through the hip and the backside, like you said. So he did that to stand back earlier this year. 
and Stanback got up pissed. So that's on film. And then if you're James Wilder Jr., same thing happens to you. Late release, check to the flats, hook up on the sideline, ball gets there, Simone goes through the, their, your backside, and he gets up and he doesn't like it. But here's the, the really important context to this, that if, again, you are a CFL longtime fan or a media member like ourselves who have covered this team, this, this event was not based or predicated on just Edmonton struggling. It was not predicated on James Wilder Jr. not having the night that he wanted or the fact that Trevor Harris got traded and that made James grumpy or the fact that he was tweeting <laughs> all this stuff about his rights to not get vaccinated or and, and, and. The reason that this thing boiled over was that James Wilder Jr. always takes the bait. And Simone is world-class <laughs> he knows at, it <laughs> at, at baiting you yeah the, simone is one of the greatest at baiting you into making an idiotic mistake and the the chemistry between those two players i've seen this boil over at the end of a labor day it was a full game back and forth labor day i want to say 2018 it might have been 2019 i can't quite remember but i i distinctly remember calling that game on radio Every tackle, Simone got up and was yipping. And every yeah. single time that James Wilder Jr. was going off the field for the Argos, he was turning around and trying to have his say. In pass protection, they would match up once in a while, and James was trying to be physical with Simone. And Simone wasn't having it. And back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So what I'm saying is Simone lives rent-free inside of James Wilder Jr.'s mind. And he has for years. Yeah. Okay. And this is not me caping up for Hamilton. And this is not me saying Simone's great and he doesn't deserve any criticism. And he's the cleanest player in the league. And James Wilder Jr. Uh, is there's no, no fault of his own in this event. But what I'm saying is this is extremely predictable because these two dudes genuinely don't like each other. This is not one of those like, hey, we'll fight between the whistles and then we'll shake hands at the end of the game. They don't shake hands. They don't like each other. Yeah. And, and I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't give a damn whether or not they send each other Christmas cards. But I'm just saying, I, I saw this coming as this game was going on, where I'm like, James is going to lose it. Like, Wilder's not going to put up with this the entire game. And Simone gives him just enough reason to get upset about it. And then he ends up trying to tackle him, and a melee breaks out. And then you end up having you know, players getting involved. And Cameron Kelly spitting, which is unforgivable, and getting kicked out of the game. Yeah. Um, which I also, I talked to somebody who said that apparently Cam Kelly was miked for that Ooh. game for and apparently in case anybody out there is wondering did he actually spit oh it's pretty hard to tell if somebody spit you kind of have to see it in the moment in order to know that he actually spit first thing how stupid can you be there's a ref three feet away <laughs> yeah. like the, the closest person on the field was an official who was staring directly at you and saying hey cut the bs get back to your sideline and the second thing is he's mic'd up if you are dumb enough to do that when there is a um, when there's an official that close, I guess you're also dumb enough to do that when you're mic'd up because I don't know if you've ever spit before, Kyle, but uh, typically there's a sound associated with spitting. Yeah. It doesn't exactly just like drool out of your mouth when you're trying to do that. And I talked to somebody who said, yeah, we heard it. It happened. Oof. We heard it. It happened. It was a thing. Like the mic picked it up in the exact moment where we went back and reviewed it. So uh, for anybody out there wondering, did he actually, oh, did they catch it? Yes. The, the officials did a great job in that moment of picking it up, seeing it in the moment and making sure. And once they had confirmation, see you later. Yeah. But the, but the rent free thing and the taking the bait with James Wilder jr, super predictable. And, uh, and Simone, I mean, I, 
let me just say this before you know I kind of wrap my thoughts on this. Sorry, I know I'm rambling on this, but I thought a lot. <laughs> of, I, I thought a lot about this over the weekend because the first thing is the taking the bait and their dynamic as, as players against each other. The other thing that that kind of bothers me about this situation is that fans out there, like you say, who are of other teams, they have their opinion already formed on Simone Lawrence. And it goes back to the Henry Burris hit low on his legs. And it goes back to Zach Kalaros getting taken out in the opener of 2019 and on Mm -hmm. and on and on, right? He has all these like fringe on the borderline, sometimes actually dirty. Sometimes it's the fault of the quarterback or the running back for not protecting themselves. But he has these plays that are, it's valid to question. And he's created this rap sheet. With that being said, I don't believe in taking somebody's previous actions and applying it to their present decisions. And on the broadcast, I would be pissed if I was the tie cats because when it's, Hey, you know, do you think that he was playing to the echo of the whistle? Or do you think that was a dirty shot? And they say, well, if it was anybody else, I think that, you know, I might give him the benefit of the doubt, but CFL fans already have this carved out perspective of Simone but previous crimes do not indict you for, for current decisions. And I hate that we do that to him specifically. And, you know, if it was Kyrie bear, I would be saying the same thing. Uh, if it was Adriano belly, I'd be saying the same, like go back through history of shit disturbers in the CFL that have, caused, <laughs> that have caused messes. I'd be saying the same thing. There can be a trend, but that should not indict somebody for their, their current moment decision-making. And, uh, for Simone, when we replicate or multiply the preconceived notion of him by saying, well, he's got a rap sheet, therefore it's the same BS, not to get too philosophical or kind of like, you know, big brain, large society stuff, but it's the same junk that we do to people in society where it's like, well, well, that person was a junkie and they've always been a junkie and well, they can't live their life without drugs and I'm never going to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's like, no, people can get straight, and sometimes yeah. people, people make decisions, and it doesn't have anything to do with the fact they were a junkie for 15 years. So I, I just view this as look at each one of these individually. Do not add them up together and create a narrative and then ride that narrative and then multiply that narrative. And that, Because as soon as you throw that out to the fan base of the team you're playing against or the larger CFL fan base that already has this preconceived notion of him, it's only going to get worse. And that's not fair to Simone in all honesty. Yeah, there was a lot of people that were, you know, saying their hey, spiel man. about, yeah, hey. about Simone Lawrence and yeah. the type of player that he is. And Simone Lawrence is a player that plays 100%, 100% of the time. And, you know, he plays on the edge, like I said, and sometimes he crosses it. Going back to that opener in 2019 when he hit Zach, um, you know, that was a hit that he shouldn't have had, uh, shouldn't yeah, have made. I agree. Even that this one, that hit against, bad. against you know, James Wilder Jr., the, the hit over the weekend, the actual hit wasn't dirty. Um, I, I thought it was clean. Was it a little late? Yeah, it was late. Um, probably shouldn't have done it. But circumstances, again, him and James Wilder Jr. don't like each other. And he was like, oh, I have a free shot at James Wilder Jr. I'm going to take it. Um, but it wasn't a head shot. It wasn't a knee shot. Let's get over it. James Wilder Jr. reacted the way he did. The thing I was surprised about during the whole thing is that it wasn't worse in terms of the fight. Yeah. Because the fight ended up on Edmonton's sideline. And I was like, <laughs> oh, boy. This is going to end up really bad. Credit to Jamie Elizondo and that coaching staff um, for well, you know, so grabbing yeah. people. I don't know if it was them or players on that sideline that were like, 
oh God, I want the season to end. And the last thing is for that I want is to lose a two game paycheck because yeah. I get suspended. Well, part of this, I think uh, you can say applaud to that applause to that coaching staff for keeping it under control. Part of this, I plays into what we started the conversation today with Edmonton on, which is uh, the morale around that team. And I'm not campaigning for people to fight because it's entertaining and it means more, but it's like, if that's Winnipeg and that's Andrew Harris, and that's on their sideline. Yeah, they might they might not get into a mess because they have discipline and they don't take many penalties. And Mike O'Shea has that group under control. But yeah, I also think there's a sense of pride if you are really respecting the person who feels like they've been wrong. Would you come to their defense? And there was a lot of dudes on that Edmonton sideline who were just like, whatever, man. <laughs> Honestly, like it's week 13. Yeah. We're not making the playoffs. They see James Wilder Jr. get all pissed off. And there was a lot of indifference on that side. And again, I'm not campaigning for, I wish that every single person would have run and started throwing punches. No, that's idiotic. Don't do that. You have the ability as a professional football player to beat the shit out of the person across from you <laughs> between the whistles for 60 minutes. Yeah. Like, like that's the game. Like I, I love, I got to play the old Neil Brennan clip for you here, just to describe how psychotic professional football is. Because <laughs> I always think of this in terms of how violent you are allowed to be between snaps. Why do you have to try and be violent and be a tough guy at the end of snaps when this is what you're allowed to do? I've been doing a joke in my act about people being surprised when football players are violent off the field. And it's like, that's all they know is violence. Their job in and of itself is attempted murder. Like, that is their job. Like, a football roster is two guys that can catch, two guys that can throw, kicker, punter, 40 murderers. There you go. So, that, like, why do you have to try and beat somebody up at the end of the play? It's like the game allows you to do that yeah. as much as you want between snaps. But uh, that's that's where I will leave this for now. And I know that yeah. we'll, we're going to inevitably get backlash on this conversation of, oh, you guys are caping up for Simone and, oh, he's a dirty player and we should kick him out of the league. Whatever. You guys want to have your opinion? have your opinion. I decided to look at it from a bit of a higher view. And I, I don't mean that in terms of superior. I mean that like I'm looking big picture and I'm just saying, look at this individually, look at the relationship that those two players have or lack of a relationship. Those two players have uh, and realize that, yeah, you're allowed to not like Simone. You're a fan. You can hate him all you want. You can call him dirty. If you want, that's your prerogative. Yeah. I, I just don't think that I believe in putting <laughs> labels on people. That's all. Yeah. Uh, by the way, shout out to the guy on Twitter that said, I think Simone hit James Wilder Jr. late because he was bored as hell of Edmonton's <laughs> terrible offense. I wanted to spice things up a little. I'm hey, like, this is a good point. <laughs> you never know. Uh, Toronto BC was the game that I had the call with Matt Dunnigan. Now, this one was fun. I got a fun game here, Kyle. You texted me before the game that you had the over and you said anything you can do. Ashed it. Any? By the way, I went 4-0 this weekend. So hey, picks. Yeah. There we go. Check that out on the website. As by the way, always. Toronto didn't cover because uh -oh. they only won by two. What was the and spread? This three. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> and really... they didn't cover. But the game did go over <sighs> Camacho. He almost screwed it up. <laughs> but the game ended up tied. The total was 47. Yeah. At least I got it at 47. And it was 23, 23 heading into overtime. I'm like, oh, okay. this is great. I'm going to cash the over. But how much, how much were you excited when you realized we were headed to overtime? <laughs> when he slices that kick, you probably went, oh, no. And I know you because I watched games with you. You probably went, no. And then you probably went, oh, it's a single. No. Oh, it's overtime. But would the he field goal have, have hit it? If he would have hit that, would that have taken the over as well? Uh, it would have pushed. It would have got to 47, oh. right? Because it was 23-22. Yeah, yeah. uh, 
Oh, no, I would have cashed the over, right? Because 23, 22 would have been 25, 23, 48. I would have, I would have cashed the there over. Okay. Um, but here's the thing with Camacho. He has a strong leg. He can make kicks from 50 yards. He has a strong leg. So where the distance he was, I was like, he's going to miss this. But if he misses this, he's going to boot it through the end zone. Yeah. Right? He has a big leg. Just his accuracy sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and this now is... for BC, it's like uh, – uh, again, your season is kind of falling apart at the seams. You got to revisit your kicking situation because that dude, uh, numerous times this year, has, has he screwed up the Saskatchewan game. Yeah. There was a game earlier this year where Camacho had a chance to kick a field goal, go up nine points, two scores with like three minutes left, and he misses. And Saskatchewan goes down the field and wins the game. Yeah, absolutely. And I, that's, I think, been one of their weaknesses. There are other things that have played into it, but uh, their defense has been pretty solid on the back end of the linebacking core throughout the year. They've been able to get some vertical passing. They're pretty high in the league when it comes to net offense. Their score zone percentage is pretty good. So, yeah, there's there's things that they can fix, but this appears to be one of them that you would wish would be a little bit more efficient at the very least. Uh, I would love for somebody, and I might have to do it if nobody else does, to put together, not to make fun of him, but a super cut of Jimmy Camacho's celebrations at the start of the year where he's hitting the three on the side of the head, like an NBA player, or he's running off the field and like swagger <laughs> dancing, dancing. Swagger down dancing. 17 dancing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then cut to the shot of him just doing the looking to the heavens. <laughs> like, I can't believe I've missed three field goals in five minutes and cost my team, my team an opportunity here. Uh, but I mean, Boris Beattie in that game goes five for five. Jimmy Camacho goes over three. That's the difference. Like that, that really is the yeah. difference in the ball game at that point, because you got Beattie knocking through a couple from like 50 ish, uh, which I think was a huge part of this, but the call itself uh, was a fun one this week. It was my last time working with Dunnigan for the year. And I've really enjoyed being able to call games with him. Um, yeah, it's it's so great doing games with Dunnigan because when we go to break after a touchdown, ugh, I wish we could air this stuff, man. Like, I, I don't know if they run on these things, but I would I, in the future, if I'm working with Dunnigan calling games, I would love for people at TSN to just record what we do during breaks and just like send them out as social snippets or something like that of the real stuff that happens during the break. Because what happens is Dunnigan and I saying to our producer, Mike Marshall, Mike, can you give us the all 24? Okay, guys, yeah, here it is. We got 90 seconds till we come back from break, but, but pull it up here and we'll run this when we come out of the break. And it's okay. And then Dunningham gets on the telestrator and him and I during the break. Okay, what did they run? Uh, just two unders in a corner. Where'd the free safety? Okay, so he rolled over the top. Is that my, and I go, Matt, is that why he got off it on the front side? Because he saw the free safety roll? He goes, no, a pre-snap, he would have seen the half come low and he would have seen the pressure. He knows he has to get it out hot. So he goes to his hot read to the, like we, during breaks, it's so much fun with Dunnigan and I, when there's a big play and there's an X's and O's discussion to be had, we dive into that stuff. And he is so great to work with on that. Um, the other thing that was kind of fun and I just, I wanted to laugh at this because this is, I think my favorite moment of this broadcast, we were messing around and having some fun and I like to try and keep it light. And cause you know, the football stuff is great and uh, the X's and O's stuff is good, but you got to have an element of entertainment to all of this as well. And there was a moment where we came out of a break and they cut to a shot of a pumpkin that was carved with an Argos logo. And just out of nowhere, I don't know why I said, Maddie, did you do that? And the first rule of improv is you don't say no, right? If, if there's any scene where you're doing an improv class and you say to somebody, Oh my goodness, Kyle Mello, uh, did you see that baby get thrown out of that window as the firefighters arrived to save the, the house? If you say no, the scene is over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, all right. very good. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, thanks. For, yeah, so you have to say yes. And whether he knows it or not, Dunnigan understands that rule based on the way he – because I go, Matt, did you, did you carve that pumpkin? 
He goes, yeah, 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 that was me. And for some, and I had no idea where I was going. I don't know why <laughs> I said it, all the rest. But for some reason in my mind, the funniest visual that I could think of, once the audience had the image of Matt Dunnigan carving a pumpkin pregame, I just said, it was amazing. Matt, yeah. did, it, Matt did it with his teeth. Yeah, he's just before the game, the whole crew's been talking about it all day long. <laughs> Dunningham looks at me in the booth. He's like, what? <laughs> like we're on air. And he just starts to me. He's like, what are you, what are you talking? And all of a sudden he thought I was being serious. And I just gave him the like, no, 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 I'm just, I'm just joking. Yeah. Sure. Uh, but it, he was fun to work with. And it, it's amazing how those little moments just pop up out of nowhere. I was, I will say this. I was a little upset. Okay. And this is the, the ego of a broadcaster thinking they're smarter than they actually are. My favorite call from the entire game was not Brian Burnham's touchdown, you know, touchdown BC Lions, add it to the highlight reel for 16 in black and white. It was not Dominique Rhymes. Oh, I was so mad I didn't I didn't say back on the roster, back from the dead when he was doing the zombie walk celebration. I wish I would have done that. Um, because that would that would have been great. I didn't realize he was doing a zombie celebration in the moment because I was so focused on making the call. But I'm I'm a little upset that people didn't realize what I did with Boom Guachem's name. Because when he got his his pick six off McLeod Bethel Thompson, I had it in my mind pregame. Okay, he's got a fun name. There's something I can do with this name. If he gets yeah. a, if he gets a sack, I want to do this. And I was like, okay, Guachem, Guachem, Guachem. I'm like, okay, well, what do you say when somebody's about to get sacked in a football game if you are uh, the team that is uh, uh, getting your quarterback sacked? Watch out! Yeah. Right? So when I, I think watch him, watch out, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to say, watch out, you know, boom, watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I don't want to have to explain the humor because it's already not funny enough, but, but to <laughs> yeah, be Jim able to explain that to us, so yes. you have to explain the joke's not funny. <laughs> exactly. But he ends up getting this pick six and I was so proud of myself in the moment for having that already implanted in my head. Didn't even have it written down. And as soon as he gets the pick and I see he's going to the end zone, I hit it with the watch out, boom, watch him to the end zone. And I didn't have a single person be like, hey, cool call. And I was like, ah, damn it. Yeah. I don't even know if people realized what I did because I might have slipped it in too fast or yelled it. But uh, but there, I, that, that was one that was fun for sure. There's that weird thing. And, you know, and obviously, you know, this better than than I do, where in broadcasting, you kind of it, it's almost fun to dig yourself a hole. And then you have to dig yourself out of it like that improv thing where you yeah. start it and then you don't know where it's going. And now you have to dig yourself out of it where it's almost fun. And I think of Bill Burr, the comedian. Bill Burr is the perfect example of that. He will go against the crowd the audience just to bring them back on his side so he'll dig himself a hole and dig himself out of it like you'll start a joke with like in los angeles i hate democrats and all, they're all <laughs> democrats in the crowd and they're all quiet and then he just looks at would you guys all donate to the campaign <laughs> right but he does that and then he'll dig himself out right yeah. where he's like kids piss me off and then he'll just go out oh speaking Speaking of saying that something pisses you off, I actually said the word piss on the broadcast by accident uh, oh. because I was trying to say pitch and I was at a party, sir. Yeah, it's okay. So I, was I had you on in the background, though. Thank you. Thank Very you. low, though. Uh, I was trying to say pitch and catch. That's what I was attempting to say. I tried oh. to say pitch and catch and it because I was speeding through my words. It just came out as piss. And I went piss, pitch and catch. And kick save and a beaut. I think I saved it. I think uh, I think it came back around the other way. It's okay because uh, one time uh, when you were on the road in uh, this is right at the beginning of Martian Mellow, um, and again I wasn't used to hosting. Um, I had cause in studio, and I forget where we were. 
I think we were both at a Blue Jays game. We didn't realize it. And I was sick. This is pre-COVID. So yeah. everybody relax. Uh, I was... Uh, I was sick and my voice was like kind of groggly and it was, it was bad. And me and uh, Matt cause went to the same blue Jays game. And I said, where did you shit? (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, I can't believe I did that. That was probably literally a month into Marshmallow. Well, like, ah, th- just screw this up. <laughs> this is the greatest of the Matt Cause Kyle Mello moments from uh, from my time traveling on the road when he would hang out with you. Marshall Ferguson, do you like jelly? It's an odd intro. <laughs> Please hang up and try your I remember that. Kyle Mello throws to me on the road for a game and asks, do you like jelly? And Cause says, well, that's a weird intro. And we get an operator. <laughs> Marshall Ferguson, do you like jelly? It's an odd intro. Please hang up and try your recording. <laughs> Please hang up. This is a recording. Just uh, co- comedically perfect, right? Those were fun times because. Yes, I agree. Also, if you think that Guach Out is the cheesiest thing I've ever done in play-by-play, you'd be wrong. The short snappers, Aaron Crawford. The holders, Luke Tasker. The kickers, Liram Hyralahu. Snap is back. Hold is down. Kick is up. And Hyralahu through the uprights. Time expires. Tie Cats win. They take the season series on the Edmonton Eskimos. Oh, can't say oh. that. I can't say that word. I mean, we got to clip that clip. Yeah, I got to add the bleep sound effect here. Here, let me just do it preemptively for you, everybody. Okay, here we go. Oh, I, I actually have something that's labeled as Kyle bleeped up question. Interesting. Okay, we'll get to that. But first, there you go. That's for the uh, the Edmonton name that I didn't realize. But uh, here is Kyle's bleeped up question. Uh, getting to the world of sports, it's interesting because you look at the National Hockey League and the Northern uh, the Northern Division. Good stuff right there. But all right, so BC Toronto was fun. Uh, the actual analysis of the game. Uh, maybe don't confuse the play-by-play guy. Uh, not to victim shame here, but. When you start taking knees, I I forgot the math in the fourth quarter, and I'm like, oh okay, they they must know what they're doing. Like I just assumed I'm like they know what they're doing, and then they start taking knees. Oh, I know. And then I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm it kind of like, and you can sense it in the play by play of how I approach this. First down, they take a knee. I'm like, yeah, this thing's over. And then it's like BC timeout. And then we cut to a shot of Rick Campbell running up and down the sidelines. I'm like, wait a minute, Rick just called the time. Rick's coaching hard right now. Rick Rick sees something. That I don't see in this moment. What is going on? And then I start to do the math in my head. I'm like, oh my God. They can't, they can't take another knee here, can they? Second down, they take a knee. I'm like, okay. So now you have to <laughs> now you have to punt it. And you can't give up the single because Boris Beatty's standing in his end zone. You can't burn enough clock to get you out of this situation. It just felt like and this, I think it was from this actual same game in 2019, BC against Toronto. One of the great, I think it was a live mic game. And they, uh, they had Corey Chamberlain mic'd up. And this was the clip uh, that was grabbed from the sideline. Who's deep? No, we, we all up. We're going after. Yeah, there was a field goal at the end of the game. And the question was, uh, who's deep? Who's going to get it? And Corey Chamberlain said, no, no, we all up. We're going after it, right? And it was like questionable decision making in a special team situation against BC at the end of the and, and it was a tie game. I mean, yeah, at that point, so it was a, a single wins it too. Yeah, a single wins it in that <laughs> game, and uh, this one was different, obviously, because uh, they were it, up one. <laughs> yeah, and so you, you were just trying to get out of this game, and uh, but the idea of 
not being able to burn enough clock and not leaving yourself the field position to kick and then not being able to cover the kick properly and then putting them right back into field position. And it's the whole thing. I was just like, man, this, this is a mess. And I felt bad as, as a broadcaster cause I didn't paint it properly, but I was fooled because of the unwarranted confidence that Ryan Dinwiddie and his staff had in that moment. And I would love to know what the chain of command was. And I'm sure that this has probably already come out in Toronto media stuff, but what was the chain of command for the Argos to understand, oh, we're doing this wrong because I just imagined somebody had to realize on second down they were doing it wrong, right? Oh, <laughs> or like I, I would imagine that Chris Jones probably would have noticed this. Oh, which by the way, great Chris Jones story for you. I have in a second. Um, but I would imagine that uh, that there was something that either Chris Jones noticed or maybe Mark Nelson noticed, or where the, the first kneel down happens and somebody even in the booth. They must, the Argos coaching staff must have started looking around at each other and going, yo, I think we're doing this wrong. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure this isn't, I, th- I think, I don't think we can do this. But then I love the idea that you can't do this. It is wrong. But on second down, you're just like, well, we're here now. So we might as well just take another knee. It's <laughs> like, what? No, like make up for your error. Like you can throw it on second down and try to get, but then at that point you're like, well, we don't want to risk throwing it because then we'll just admit that we were wrong on first down. Okay. So you doubled down by also kneeling on second down. I'm like, would you rather be daring and close out the game and not have to deal with the stress and go to overtime Yeah, or, or just be like, maybe if we just take the second knee, nobody will notice that we were wrong for taking the first knee. They kept showing sideline shots and Rick Campbell of anybody else, like the opposing head coach, he looked confused as all hell. He yeah. was like, they're going to give us the ball back. This is weird. <laughs> like he was, I think he knew in his head, he was like, I'll take it, but uh, yeah. what are you doing? And then it was funny because that happened on uh, Saturday during that Argos game. And then Vic Fangio and the Denver Broncos on uh, yeah. Sunday said, hold my bag. <laughs> they get the ball back. And in three plays, they fumble the ball on first down. They're up a touchdown and they got, they have the ball. They fumble the ball on first down. They recover it. Yeah. Second down. They decide to throw the ball. Teddy Bridgewater throws the ball incomplete stops the clock. Then on third down, they fumble the ball again. This time Washington recovers. Now it didn't really hurt them in the end because they ended up winning the game because Washington is Washington. Um, but Vic Fangio looked like he wanted to crawl in a very, very large hole. <laughs> Speaking of teams that have swapped out their logos, rebranded, and actually had the new logo on the sideline, the Washington football team. Um, but yeah, it, it was confusing. It was befuddling. I did see Ben Grant from X's and Argos tweet out afterwards that Ryan Dinwiddie did acknowledge it, did own up to it. I saw an article out there as well. It might have been a three-down piece that said um, that McLeod Bethel-Thompson was embarrassed after the game because he realized he missed some of those home run shots and uh, that uh, Dinwiddie was disappointed in himself because he didn't understand the situation. And it's these are all learning experiences. They got away with it. Like they're into the playoffs, their undefeated home streak continues and all the rest. But um, the one thing I will say is that that Argos offense, I don't know if it's because of the weather or what, but during one of the breaks, Dunnigan and I were looking at each other and I go, Matt, do you realize like what we've seen from Toronto today in, in terms of offense? Cause yeah, I go, it's essentially inside zone RPO slants or slant and go. 
Yeah. I'm like, it was like basically four styles, four genres of, of play. And some of those genres were kind of interconnected in the Venn diagram of offensive football and the CFL. So it, I don't want to say it was limited, but that, that was, I mean, we talked earlier about you throw a play out there on film, you force other teams to get ready for it and have to prepare and, and burn some of their prep time. There was none of that for Toronto. They, they were basic on this game and uh, it got them through, but I don't know if they're hiding stuff or what, but it, it was interesting to see how their offense um, struggled to get down. But we need to move on to this last final game, but I do want to throw out this Chris Jones story. So Julio Caravada, one of my absolute favorite people in the entire CFL, just great dude, great analyst, love being around him and talking football. We always have a ball when we catch up. So uh, we always make a point of sitting down for a half hour uh, pregame uh, when I was calling Ticats games and same thing now when I cross paths with them, which Hey, I will again coming up this week because uh, I've got the Ticats and the BC Lions game coming up on Friday evening. And uh, I've called three BC Lions games this year of the four that I've called. So uh, <laughs> I've, I've we've had a lot of time to hang out. But he said, Julio goes before the game, you know, I was sitting at the hotel last night and Chris Jones is there. I'm like, okay, Chris Jones is probably like living at the hotel during the season because he came up here mid-season and yeah. just needed a place to stay for a couple of months. So, and Toronto's ridiculously expensive. Yeah, like, what are you going to do, <laughs> buy a house? Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so he ends up being at the hotel and Julio's sitting there and he says, I, I didn't say anything to him. And then, you know, I'm wearing my BC Lions gear and I don't even know if he knows who I am kind of thing. But I said, uh, you know, there's a pass interference call uh, in the Hamilton Edmonton game where uh, J- Jonathan Rose did like the face guard on Brandon Banks. Uh, yeah. And was fighting back to the ball, which by the way, like Ticats fans, relax. That's not pass interference. No, like, you can do that. Just can't make contact the, yeah, with like, the receiver. They got there at the same time. It doesn't matter whether or not the guys turned around and playing the football in the air. Who cares? Like it, there was no contact before the ball arrived there. So it was bad form, but it wasn't. I don't understand why Coach O challenged. It wasn't, it wasn't penalty worthy. So anyways, he sees that one. He looks at, <laughs> Julio goes, I look down the bar and I see Chris Jones and I coach, you uh you think that's pass interference? Jones leans back and Caravada does a much better impersonation of Chris Jones than I do. <laughs> leans back and goes, Ah shit, I don't know. <laughs> 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 Chris Jones can never stop being Chris Jones. I know. It's awesome. And, and what he what he told you, he's just ah shit, I don't know. He goes, that's the old marsh. That's the only thing I said to him the entire night. The entire game. Oh wow. That was like the only conversation we had was coach, what do you think of that one? Ah, I don't know. I don't I mean I, I don't see it, you know. And then Chris Jones stands up, goes to leave at the end of the game, and the bartender at that exact moment brings over a bottle of wine for Julio Caravada. And puts it in front of him. Jonesy walks past, slaps him on the shoulder and goes, ask for tomorrow. Enjoy the night. Oh, <laughs> I was like, who are you? James Bond? How <laughs> is that? I'm like, he's just like swaggering out of the hotel bar, dropping bottles of wine for people that he hasn't talked to the entire night. I'm like, that's a badass move by Chris Jones right there. That's badass. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah. Respect. So anyways, uh, okay. Final game of the week, uh, Saskatchewan, Montreal and uh, defensive battle, essentially back and forth. I, I zoomed through this game. Haven't watched it closely as of yet, but man, that offense for Saskatchewan, they were slow in the first quarter, especially, especially. Uh, and then they ended up, William Stanback does his thing. We see Trevor Harris for the first time in Montreal. Questions going forward here as to whether or not Harris can actually prove that he can start a game in, in short order. I, mm-hmm. I, I haven't tracked yet how he played. And because the interesting question to me is how Trevor Harris will match up with Kari Jones. Uh, and I don't think we have an answer on that as of yet. But I, I do like the idea 
of uh, Saskatchewan going in on the road, not playing at their best, which we have to give them credit. They get a win against a, a decent Montreal team, above average Montreal team, uh, without having to play their best football, which we gave Winnipeg credit for doing that against Edmonton a, a couple of weeks ago. I think Saskatchewan just did the same thing. Yeah. Um, this game was was strange in the fact of for the riders and I talked about the lack of production for William Powell um, this season. Um, he just couldn't, couldn't run the ball at all. 11 carries for 30 yards, just over two, two yards a carry um, for Saskatchewan. They have to, especially if Moore's out for the, you know, out for the season or out for, you know, the next few weeks here, um, they have to get the running game going other than Cody Fajardo. Fajardo had a 27 yard run. Um, in the game, but outside of that, they just couldn't move the ball with the run. And I don't mean this in a disparaging way to Cody Fajardo. Cody Fajardo is not the type of quarterback that can throw the ball 45 times a game. He's just, he's not. I don't think and, they want him to, but they just got put in this spot where not yeah. a lot else was working. The thing that concerns me with him the most is that you got Duke Williams and you're just chucking it up to him and hoping that he makes a play on it. Now I'm like, Cody was complaining about 50, 50 balls earlier in the year. Okay. Well, this is the point where you don't have to make them 50-50. You've got somebody dangerous enough that you can play off that and be more effective and efficient and more accurate. And I'm not seeing it as of right now. That might change as we get down the stretch, but I think the colors on this zebra are what they are in 2021 at this point. Uh, and again, if he makes one great throw for a deep ball in a playoff game, you know, on mm-hmm. the road in Winnipeg, then everybody that's been criticizing him on the deep ball stuff all year long, you get told that you're wrong. The fact remains though, the the grander body of work for 2021 he has not been a very good deep ball thrower and that's not on the receivers and in this game there was a couple of shots where it's like that he's just throwing it up it seemed like thinking hey you're duke williams we've been talking about deep ball stuff you'll go get it for me and sometimes duke will but more often than not deep ball completions are not because the receiver out muscles somebody for it it's because you throw with anticipation and timing and yeah. you know, read coverage and all that. And I, he just doesn't seem comfortable taking those shots right now. And, I'll, you know, I'll probably chart this going into the playoff game. And I'll probably write up an article on CFP to say to people, hey, here's the real hard, cold truth on Fajardo deep balls with or without Duke Williams. And uh, I don't think it's going to be very favorable in all honesty to him. No. It's just based on what I've seen from the games. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a few weeks ago when we had a discussion after Cody Fajardo went, uh, you know, to the postgame presser and essentially ripped his receivers saying he's sick and tired of throwing up jump balls and never coming down with it. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great if you threw a true jump ball and you don't throw a true jump ball. The one skill that Cody Fajardo does possess is his ability to extend plays, right? So when he's rolling out and avoiding pressure and again, Saskatchewan's offensive line. And again, Montreal is very good uh, up front and they get after the quarterback and they stop the run and their defensive line um, wins usually that battle of the trenches. Um, But Cody Fajardo, when he's extending plays and he gets outside, well, now your receivers are running essentially secondary routes, right? They've already run their first route. Now they're coming back to the football and Cody Fajardo will just throw the ball 40 yards downfield when his receiver's standing still. And I'm like, that's not a really jump ball. I mean, essentially, yeah, it is, but why don't you throw on the first route? If a guy's running down the rail, throw it up. So he has the momentum going in his favor and the DB now has to turn around and look for the football or it's going to be pass interference, but he doesn't do that. He waits until he extends the play and then chucks it. And it's like, well, yeah, if you're complaining about the consistency of your deep ball throwing, 
that's probably one of the reasons. Probably don't want to do that over and over again. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many different ways to throw the deep ball, and something that I always had to use because I was not a strong-armed quarterback whatsoever, and this is like high school stuff that gets taught to people. Noodle is, arm? Oh, yeah. Uh, You're Johnny Damon, a quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> if you can't if you can't throw it deep down the field, like Michael Riley will, and McLeod Bethel-Thompson, they will, we saw this in the game on uh, on Saturday afternoon, they'll be standing in the pocket, have pressure, bullets flying all over them, little here, step forward, dodge a defensive tackle, and on one step, boom, gone, 40, 50 yards in the, like just rip it over the top. That's usually in good weather and with a strong arm when you're fully healthy and all the rest. Uh, I mean, there was a throw from Riley in this game that got called back by a holding call in Toronto, BC, that he he zipped it to the wide side to Lucky Whitehead on a curl route, and that thing didn't get more than 10 yards off the ground. It was unbelievable the strength of his arm to just rip it into there. Cody doesn't make a lot of those throws. He does occasionally, but the way that you throw the deep ball if you can't rip it consistently with accuracy is to put it up early and to put arc on it. I think Zach Kalaros is the best at this in the CFL uh, where he will take an arc and throw the ball with a certain level of touch that we always talk about. Like a one arc is when you're just drilling it. A two arc is your average and a three is your nice lofting high ball. If you put it up earlier and you put it up as a three ball with that arc, you give the receiver a greater percentage chance to catch the football yep. because they can run underneath it. The angle is better for them where the ball is dropping down less sharply. And so they can drop it to, into the bucket on the outside. And Cody doesn't, hasn't really grown in that way of put it up early, pre-snap, read the coverage, look people off and then release it early enough to give yourself that up. Cause think about it, Kyle, it's simple, right? It's like Jimmy Camacho trying to, trying to drill that field goal uh, at the end of regulation. He blasts that thing low. Well, why is he drilling it low? Because he's trying to get distance on it. Well, as a quarterback, it's different but similar. If you're, if you're late trying to get the ball there, what do you do? You rip it as low as you possibly can because the longer that ball goes in the air, the further away your receiver is and the target actually gets deeper. So you have to throw the football early in, in your understanding of the progression of the play in order to give it that loft to give them a chance to get underneath. And Cody doesn't really seem to use that strategy a lot. It's like, you know, catch the ball in the gun, take your quick three-step drop, and then try to throw it 45, 50 yards on a two-line. It's like, okay, yeah. well, maybe it's like catch the ball in the shotgun, take a one-step drop, and drop it on a three-line over the top. There's lots of different ways to throw the deep ball. Uh, and again, I do think he'll hit on some down the stretch in the playoffs. I think that he will make us all shut up about this topic a little bit. But this Montreal game did not support that. And so until I see it, I'm going to continue to question. And I'm also going to question whether or not Saskatchewan will have the ability to have success in the playoffs if he can't hit some of those big shots. Because an integral part of what Winnipeg did in 2019 was mm -hmm. hitting a couple of those big plays with Zach dropping those three balls in over the top to Darvin Adams, et cetera. Uh, the result of this game with the Alouettes losing, essentially now if the Ticats win out, they're going to host the East Final. Crazy, right? That's the way it is. Um, now they don't play Montreal, but Montreal winning – the, their last three games, especially against Winnipeg, uh, twice, uh, is going to be uh, very difficult. So we don't expect that to happen. So they'll fall at least one time. And then it's going to be up to the Ticats to do their job, go out against BC, don't get caught in a look-ahead situation against the, you know, to the Argos game. And then, you know, beat the Toronto Argonauts. And then the last week against the Riders, 
who knows? Like yeah. for the riders, that game might not mean anything, right? If Calgary slips up at all and Saskatchewan can continue winning, um, they might already have that second place uh, shored up. And then it's, you know, the West semifinal would be in Regina um, and they might rest Cody Fajardo and it might be a, you know, a, you know backup uh, sort of day uh, for the riders uh, in terms of, uh, you know, across the field. Um, I think if you're Hamilton, by the way, I don't know if you want to hit the stat of the day. Oh, wow. um, I put it out on Twitter. It got a lot of plugs. So uh, a lot of people have already seen this. Let me see here. I'll bring you up. A st- I don't want to do stat of the day long because we are running a little bit long and all this. Okay. So I, I'll just give you the, uh, the Drake stat of the day. Here. The TSN 1150 stat of the day. Did you know that? Jeremiah Masoli in his last four starts against Edmonton, whether it's the Elks or the Bleeps, 1,499 yards, 10 touchdowns, three interceptions. Whoa. 1,500 yards in four games. (laughs) That's ridiculous, man. He also loves playing against the Argos, which is my final thought for the show today, (laughs) that that game against Toronto down the stretch, if that determines home field for the East final, that's going to be an incredible game. And I think that along with BC Calgary at the end of the season, which potentially could be like a play-in game for the yeah. playoff seating. Those two games to me are the most intriguing ones that are remaining on the schedule at this point in the season. Cause one of them is going to determine that two, three slot, I think in the West and potentially even like a team being in or out of the playoffs in the three, four in the West. Yeah. And the other one's probably going to determine home field in the East. If I were to guess at this point. When I saw those stats from Jeremiah Masoli, all I thought of was Pedro Martinez and Yankees fans. Who's your daddy? I was like, this is bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, not great. All right, that's going to do it for us on the show today. He is at Kyle underscore Mello underscore. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. We are at Marsh and Mello on Twitter. Shout out to the Marshall Thundering Herd making the big move to the Sun Belt. Congratulations. Getting out of Conference USA. Uh, also, an ex- More college football corruption. Yeah, and an, an ex-Marshall <laughs> kicker. Uh, Vedvik, I think his name is, was in for Saskatchewan this week. He's a former Thundering Herd punter. Uh, and also Alex Bazzi back into the fold with the BC Lions was getting uh, getting into the mix. So uh, nice to see a couple of Thundering, our Marshall Thundering Herd having some uh, some headlines, some success in the CFL as well. Uh, you can follow us at CF Perspective. Another great week of shows coming up for you here with Connor and Wade, all Canadian. They got the OUA show up now as the OUA playoff seating shakeout. One of the few teams McMaster beat on the year Waterloo makes the playoffs and McMaster does not. Uh, that one has to hurt. But great to see Trey Ford getting healthy and playing some uh, some high-end football there for the Warriors down the stretch. So we will keep our eyes on that, as will they. Of course, the breakdown coming up for you later on this week. Hopefully, DT and I will be able to give you a longer episode than we have the last couple of weeks. It's been crazy. And then on Friday night, I have got the call alongside Dwayne Ford, my final uh, play-by-play of the year as it stands right now, BC Hamilton at the Donut Box, 7 p.m. And then there's like a 9.45 start time for, the, sec- for the second game, which... Uh, Yeah, I'll see you down there at the donut box. All right, buddy. I'm looking forward to it for now. Thank you for listening. Have yourselves a great Monday, and we will talk to you next week right here on Marsh and Mellow. Do your damn best, because I'm going to do mine. Viva Los Lobos. You're lucky I might. Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.